Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Comic Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Volk, a host of the channel, and today I'll be talking to Dr. Simon Grennan about A Theory of Narrative Drawing, published by Palgrave Macmillan in 2017. Dr. Simon Grennan is a professor of art and design at the University of Chester in the UK and has been practicing internationally as an artist since 1990. As part of the collaborative team, Grennan and Sperandio, you can see their work on cartoonkings.com. Cartoon is spelt with a K. He is well known as a pioneer of interventionist, new genre, and post-relational practice through publishing television and social action projects. Dr. Grennan is also an educator and an award-winning scholar of narrative drawing, uh, with particular expertise in the histories of drawing, comics, remediation, and intermedia. He is a recognized theorist of the pedagogical relationship between practice and research and is an experienced public-facing practitioner. His book offers an original new concept of visual storytelling, proposing that drawing, depictive drawing, and narrative drawing are produced in an encompassing dialogic system of embodied social behavior. It refigures the existing descriptions of visual storytelling that pause with the theorizations of perception and the articulation of the form. The book identifies and examines key issues in the field, including the relationships between vision, visualization, and imagination, theoretical remediation of linguistic and narratological concepts, the systematization, systematization of discourse, the production of the subject, ideal and institution, and the significance of resources of the body in depiction, representation, and narrative. It then tests this new conception and practice with two original visual demonstrations to clarify the particular dialectic relationships between subjects and media, and an examination of drawing style and genre, social consensus, and self-conscious constraint. The book's originality derives from its clear articulation of a wide range of sources in proposing a conception of narrative drawing and the extrapolation of this new conception in these two visual demonstrations. In this interview, Dr. Grennan discusses different strategies for reading this book, explains the graphiotactic array, and talks about how one can draw in drag. So, Dr. Simon Grennan, welcome to the show. Uh, Simon, could you please tell us a little bit about your career or your intellectual journey into this topic? Sure, I'm delighted to uh, be here, Elizabeth. Um, My uh, scholarly career is relatively short uh, in that uh, I did doctoral work between 2008 and 2011. Um, and I'm a lot older than that might imply in the uh, in the general course of events in terms of scholars becoming scholars, doing their undergraduate work, doing master's work, and then doing their doctoral work. And so I came to doctoral work uh, pretty late. I got my master's degree, uh, in fact, a master of fine art uh, at the University of Illinois uh, in Chicago in 1990. Uh, which is uh, a good, yeah, a long time ago, and so I, there was a big gap between my doing my master's, which was entirely practical uh, studio program at the University of Illinois um, uh, between eighty-eight and ninety, and then uh, starting to undertake doctoral work uh, in two thousand and eight, a long time, and so my path to scholarship uh, has been uh, circuitous, uh, and I'll mention a tiny little bit about what happened before, uh, because. Um, there, it does have a bearing on the way in which I became a scholar and uh, the focus of my 
scholarship, both in terms of practice and in terms of uh, theorization and explaining, uh, and also in terms of the history uh, of the comic strip. And so I have three strands really in my in my studies, uh, the practical work. Uh, I'm a comic book artist, and so I so I draw uh, and run a visual art studio, um, and that's been going on since 1990 and continues in a number of different ways. Uh, and also, I am a theorist in so much as I write write and think about uh, comics. Uh, and also, I'm a historian in the sense that I uh, that the, the third strand is that I study. I study the history of comics uh, and in particular um, uh, specific practitioners uh, whose work interests me uh, as a reader and as a viewer, but uh, but uh, who form part of the history of comics that in a sense I've uh, worked with others to discover. So I, uh, when, I let, when, I, when I got my MFA uh, in 1990, um, I was. I started to work. Um, I set up a studio with another artist, a visual artist um, from West Virginia, Christopher Sperandia. Um, and in one form or another, we still run that studio. Um, he's he's now. I went to Manchester. He went to um, uh, Manhattan uh, from Chicago, and we set up a studio remotely together. And this is the early day, uh, very early days of dial-up modems. And so we we had a very we had a very early uh, experience with dial-up modems. Um, mostly driven by him uh, he's a great tech guy so he, he could see what was coming and so we ran this studio and essentially we operated on in the commercial fine art market uh, between um, Europe and the US um, for um, 15 or so years uh, we still operate but uh, the markets are slightly different um, and the thing that we the thing that we did uh, that that characterized us retrospectively it's easy to describe at the time we described it in a number of different ways but retrospectively um, is that we um, uh, our practice our practice constituted arranging for folks to do things that they don't normally do. And what that meant is that we would arrange situations that either we put ourselves into socially or and we joined others uh, um, in putting them into situ social situations that were that were unusual uh, to them or un, uh, not, not their habitual situations. Um, and this meant that we worked on project basis um, and we came to comics uh, as a medium uh, relatively early uh, in that process um, because of the, um, the ways in which... Um, uh, in which they contradicted studio practice, traditional fine art studio practice. So the notion is, although this is a kind of nominal idea, the notion in fine art studio practice is that the the, the artist goes into the goes into a place, the studio, uh, with stuff, material, uh, and then uh, transforms that material. Uh, the materials taken then out of the studio, and uh, destined for. Um, uh, destined for uh, a market or uh, yeah, it's really a market so that there's a notion that the museum or the dealer uh, or eventually the collector um, has stands literally stands in the in the place where the artist stood when they made the work to consume the work and that this is meant to be a very direct relationship and this is a kind of model uh, a kind of commercial model of a uh, fine art production and so the so the uh, the emphasis the emphasis there is on this kind of strange one-to-one putative one-to-one relationship uh, between the artist and the uh, and the consumer, um, and of course, upsetting that is everything that we experience elsewhere, and so everything else that we that we understand um, doesn't work by that model. Um, Kylie Minogue's new new album is made with a hundred different people. Uh, Kylie's name's on it. Everyone everyone understands that. Uh, comics are certainly made by that like that. Uh, so the auteur the auteur model of film. 
uh, is a kind of contradiction uh, to that. Uh, but actually, it just all that does is masks the fact that you've got a great cinematographer, great lighting, lighting person, actors, uh, set designers, uh, financiers, um, cinemas, the folks who made the cinema seats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this huge, this huge chain of or network of folks uh, pr- producing things um, was very interesting to us. Um, and so there were a couple of ideas that, that that then started to make their way into us thinking about comics. And so comics are um, uh, a um, a collaborative medium in terms of in terms of both production uh, and um, uh, very uh, insightfully, um, uh, it, uh, according to Joe Sutcliffe Sanders, according to in terms of consumption. So you, you have this notion, Joe's great notion of of uh, chaperoned reading, uh, is a really great idea about how you might use a book um, that the reader doesn't have a direct relationship, but but the book forms part of a network of social relationships that are about consumption and you see that again and again uh, is that the art the the art the object is uh, the object is actually uh, recreated and or uh, revived collaboratively in terms of those relationships it's not just produced collaboratively so this brought us to comics and we made quite a lot of comics uh, which were essentially people's history comics and so we worked with folks to tell stories that were not ours uh, sometimes sometimes we made the drawings um, sometimes uh, other people made the drawings um, and so, um, so that 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 was an ongoing strand of my of my thinking uh, about um, about production, um, and that led me to um, that that led me into scholarship, I suppose. And so that's that's how I so when I so when I uh, when I undertook uh, my doctoral work, the doctoral work fit into that context, and the doctoral work was theoretical. And so I I was became I really became interested in the. Um, in the those systems of relationships as produced and as represented in uh, and those two things are consistent in my thinking about almost everything is that uh, is that um, uh, experience uh, experience and representation or representation is a subset of experience and so and so the and so we have these two things going on and that that led me to to write to undertake doctoral work which was about comics theory and so I got very interested in um in how drawing um, stories, um, or how drawn how drawn stories uh, have medium specific characteristics, um, which I wanted to explore, and I started to explore that in my doctoral work, and then my doctoral work became uh, a theory of narrative drawing, uh, which I published, which I published after a, a fairly big pause. I think if I got my yes, I didn't. I think that a theory of narrative drawing. I, I think it was five years or something. I I, I waited and changed my thesis documents fairly substantially um, uh, because I needed to, there was more I needed to think about and more I needed to do. Um, but but the strands, the strands that led me to this point were, were all there. So that the, so the notion of thinking about social relationships, um, the experience of, uh, of undertaking work, uh, making representations with others, particularly other people who were essentially not like me, um, and also uh, the notion that I'm a practitioner scholar. Uh, those things are carried forward um, entirely. And I, I, I'm constantly triangulating my practice as a method of interrogating theory uh, and, and also of interrogating um, uh, experiences of history. So I got in, I've got involved in various ideas about, uh, about um, uh, what constitutes an archive, for example, um, and uh, how social memory might work relative to archiving, uh, which is a which is the way in which the 
our experiences of things uh, are uh, nominally recreated through uh, memory as an archive, and often this is a share. This is a um, communally, a consensually agreed uh, set of experiences. So that's where I. So that's that's how that's how that works. And so now I. So now I've been. So then I. I well, now I'm still. Now I. I these three strands continue, um, and I. Um, uh, I'm continually thinking, and rethinking. I'm actively thinking. I haven't arrived at a position. I've got. I have a. Um, there's a, there are trends. There are trends in my in my scholarship, um, and so you could say you could say that my that the things that existed in my practice and my arts practice or exist in my arts practice, which have names that are that derive from the from uh, the from commercial fine art or the fine art fine arts community, uh, interventionism, uh, uh, re relationality, um, um, so that social exchange, uh, antagonism, social antagonism. Um, all of these things have sh are sh shades of, of various ways of thinking about social relationships, which are quite, um, uh, um, uh, which are quite 18th century in a way. So one thinks about the struggle for recognition uh, in 18th century philosophy. Um, but that, and so that that strand that strand remains. And so I'm not I'm definitely not a formalist. Uh, I don't think that the I don't think the significance resides in. Um, uh, um, in a, gen a generalizable uh, uh, no notion of um, of the of the properties of the object, uh, that let's say that, <laughs> uh, and I know that there are some folks who 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 work along those those lines, and they're not. That's I don't I don't I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't join that group. I join the other group, um, and so that's and that's to do with the history of my practice as much as anything. So I think that's where I think that's where I'm at. I should say a tiny little bit about the history bit. Uh, because we've had a bit about practice, you know, I draw and make comics, and also I think about comics and write about comics. So there's the practice and theory bit, but the history bit is um, uh, is interesting. And because of this notion of memory, um, there are there are uh, there are ways in which the the reproduction of memory, the creation, and the and the uh, inculcation of memory um, is uh, is not, is 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 of course all about representation. Uh, there's nothing to it but representation, which it's not internal. Uh, memory, this is, going to sound, this is going to sound like a position statement, it kind of is. Uh, the thing about memory is that it's, enti is that it's entirely external. Um, it's not, a, and I'm talking in a very um, uh, uh, um, a Bactinian or Vol Voloshnofian way about the social life. The social life of the mind is also social. And so that's and so the so there is no interior life. Um, uh, our, our interior life is also entirely a life of representations. And so we um, so so the reason so the reason I got I'm interested in in that relationship or, or the way in which that relationship articulates itself as a strand in my work um, is in focusing on um, very practically on figures on figures who are who were unrepresented. Uh, or whose work is whose whose work as representation of a of a of of, um, of, uh, of subjectivity or or of a his, a, a social a historical social situation has been overwritten or abandoned about or un, and have become increasingly unrepresented and of course what that means is Marie Duval and so I'm talking about um, I'm talking about the uh, uh, the great uh, um, uh, early early British comics uh, pioneer. Uh, um, uh, Emily de Tessier, uh, pseudonym Marie Duval, who I study uh, and whose work has uh, 
uh, repaid and who's the study of whose work has repaid that kind of that kind of theorization of how this overwriting happens so this is where this is where in a sense um, my 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 practical work my as a as a as a drafter uh, someone who draws comics connects up with the notion of of memory as a, as uh, as having a political aspect and so the and so who controls representations how representate what's possible to think uh, and what's impossible to think is a political is a political field and so that's where these three these three areas the pra- the practice the theorization and the history kind of connect up for me Oh, so much to unpack there. So exciting. <laughs> so I want to uh, uh, pull back to this uh, relationships to work and relationship in this case between scholar and reader. And I have to ask you a material question. I have a theory of narrative drawing in three different formats. I have a hardback, a scanned one that I can take notes on, and I have it on my e-reader. And I feel like each of them gave me a different reading, or maybe that's from the reading experience. And how would you recommend potential readers to approach this book because it covers so much i think um i have a little bit of experience of other readers in the sense in the sense that folks have told me how they how they read the book uh, which is really useful um it's a very straightforward thing to do it's it's uh, you know uh, often these there are complex ideas um about about reading um but but actually uh, one of the one of the one of the things that simplifies those complex ideas is the reader tells you what they've done. <laughs> so and so then <laughs> you think, okay, um, and so that 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 then is available to scrutiny. And so one of the interesting things about about contemporary academic publishing is the uh, is the availability of the book in fragments. And so and so one has so so I understand that uh, that although I although I wrote a theory of narrative drawing. Um, as a as a book in in three parts where where there's a beginning a middle and an end like all you know like well like every story um there's um in fact folk in fact i i know that that folks don't read the book in that way uh, and in particular the uh, um there is a um there seems to be a tendency to read it back to front which is which is interesting. And what I mean by that is that is that the 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 final the final section, the third section, uh, is a series of drawing demonstrations, and the drawing demonstrations don't uh, they don't demonstrate they don't demonstrate the th- they don't demonstrate the theory the central theorizations, but what they do is that they demonstrate certain aspects of the of the pre- the previous theorizations. Um, and essentially, their style, their their style demonstrations. They're, they're, what, what happens if you, what happens if you try to? I set myself a number of questions, which are practical, which are practical briefs, briefs for making comics. Uh, what 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 happens if you uh, um, uh, if you um, if you adapt, redraw a, a particular existing plot in a recognizable, in a remembered style, the style that belongs to someone else. Drawing being drawing being a series of manners. Um, and so and so the uh, style being a series of manners so how so the literally the how you do it i it does it doesn't just identify in uh, necessarily the the who uh, of so so the start style and subjectivity don't necessarily map onto each other but style and the particular set of ideas do um, and so what happens if you change these what happens if you set up a situation where actually with some rigor 
you see what happens if you if you uh, if you delimit areas, benchmark benchmark plot, benchmark styles, uh, and then move them around, change them, and uh, and all the time producing them oneself, uh, not far, not farming them out, uh, uh, not not resubjectivizing them or altering their subjectivity by. Um, uh, by undertaking, by commissioning drawing, but actually making drawing, and so that so that chapter about these these demonstrations uh, of restyling um, in terms of uh, story showing um, and what the impact of, of style on story is, for example, and what the impact of style upon uh, some really quite big ideas um, uh, where uh, where we talk about genre. Uh, we talk about the medium of comics, um, where we where, and then we have to look at the notion of who's who's make who's making and who's made, and how those residues find their way into how they're represented, literally represented, um, and so and and there are a number of ways in which those representations take place uh, uh, indexically and through trace and through production histories, uh, and then through the socialization of production and reading. And so, so you think, okay, uh, how? So that cha- that chapter about me demonstrating what happens if you, what happens if you, um, uh, if you draw a Jim Medway plot in the style of Mike Mignola, <laughs> or if you try to identify, um, if you try to identify, uh, let me have a think, Anglophone comics, the history of Anglophone comics by decade, <laughs> stylistically, which itself is a is a kind of um, uh, reckless, reckless and. And kind of, uh, uh, yeah. Why is it reckless? Um, because because I'm talking of trying to be rigorous. Um, and so you think, well, okay, what's a, you know? Oh, great, great. An Anglophone comic of the '60s. You think, oh, well, that's not a that's a <laughs> that's a pretty broad field. <laughs> anyway, so the so the notion is that these that trying to bang these ideas together um, and to demonstrate how they might test thinking or inculcate. Uh, and or demonstrate particular set of ideas in the book. Um, so I think that folks start there. I think that often folks, and one of the reasons for that is that um, uh, is the enter- is, well is the is that the entertainment of viewing drawings is very different to the entertainment of reading. <laughs> um, and so that and so it's not like oh crikey, and I'd rather look at the pictures. Um, but the but but that's I'm not sure it's quite like that. But I think that there, I think that there is um, uh, the immediacy, the immediacy of the of the visual, visual representations um, is, um, yeah. There's a kind of speed. There's a speed uh, to the delivery, or there is the reception, the reception of the drawings, uh, where you open a book or you look at a book or you see what might be possible in a book, um, and the uh, um, and the islands in the ocean are islands of drawing in oceans of text <laughs> and so and so although we're and that's a very uh, you know that's a very uh, european way of thinking about things um i've just spent some time in the pacific uh, where it's fairly obvious that uh, um that that uh, uh, that the land is not the terrain uh, in the, in the pacific the ocean is the terrain <laughs> and so anyway so so that's uh, so but in, in in the book you think okay all right so the so I think that folks read I think that folks read the uh, theory of narratory of drawing and they come to they sometimes come to the they come to the theorization uh, chapters one and chapters two um, through or after the drawings and also I think I think that you can also because the the book is available you can buy sub you can buy subsections of chapters uh, for 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 uh, a few dollars without without buying the whole book 
and academic books are expensive. I suspect that folks think, oh, I'm going to read that subsection. Uh, and that they and that they do. And for instance, uh, uh, one of the things that I, um, yeah, one of the things that I had to do in in the book was to talk about relationships between between drawing, the medium of drawing, and uh, and um, uh, and languages. And I I know that the the subsections on the subsections on writing and uh, and language structure relative to the an experience of. Um, uh, uh, in particular, iconic signs uh, is is a chap is a is a subsection that is read a lot more than the other more than the rest of the book, and so and so that's so so that so I think that that's an interesting. What this does, of course, is that it, it is that if one has made a if one has made a well argued rhetorical argument, if one if one's rhetoric has been the arrangement of the book, um, then this rhetoric is ignored. And so, so readers readers do not um, do not follow my signposts necessarily. They uh, they they create their own, and that that's and that's pretty interesting. And I think that it's it it leads to the um, it leads to the survival of the book uh, in a in a way um, in a way that the the form of the book, uh, as in the form of not my book but books in general, of the of the front to back page one to page ten to page one hundred. Um, the beginning to endness of the book um, is um, is not necessarily apparent to to new readers because they come to it online. Uh, they buy they buy various fragments. Uh, they don't actually buy the whole book. They might they might look at uh, and it, and to and to one degree or another we all do that. So that the so that the 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 fiction or the uh, the uh, it's not really an ideal, but the the fiction the fiction of the reader starting with the introduction and finishing. Starting on page one and finishing on the last page, having 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 been uh, willingly manipulated by the rhetoric of the form, um, is is probably not that's that's probably not how this is happening. So and that's that's very interesting because the argument I I'm I'm very careful in the book to reiterate again and again certain things. So I was so it's almost as though it's almost as though I'm making these kind of strange strange bites of a cake. Uh, where I don't, where unless you've unless you've taken bite number one, you can't take bite number two. And then I say, oh, um, oh have you? So it's, it's a kind of eat your greens uh, uh, kind of approach. Don't just don't just eat your chips uh, kind of approach. Um, and so I'm constantly saying, right, well, we need to know this. Well, what's this question? Okay, all right. Well, if we're going to answer it in that way, then we need to know the answer to this question. And then there's and and, and then there's so there are uh, there's a teleological kind of momentum. Uh, to books uh, of this sort, and mine has that. But but what's interesting is that I think that folks simply don't read it like that. They just ignore that, uh, or they can ignore that and do ignore that, and they just dive into a bit that they that, that they need, and they don't necessarily. Which means actually that their comprehension of what I'm talking about um, um, is um, different to mine. <laughs> maybe maybe that you know because i've i've worked hard to establish terminology in the first part i've worked you know i kind of work hard to say oh i need to consider this this and this and the reader hasn't necessarily considered this that or that they've just gone right i'll have this part uh, and i think that that's a, i think that's okay i think that that that's obviously works it means that the after the you know all books have all books are nothing but the afterlife of the book 
as soon as I finished writing, the book has an afterlife which belongs to readers. Uh, and that afterlife means that they're going to use it in who knows what kind of ways to do what, who knows. So I think that's, I think that the, so I can't recommend, um, I mean, I suppose I should say, I should say, start a, start with the introduction, very brief, uh, uh, which is kind of justification um, of the form. And then I say, okay, we'll start, yeah, start at page one and, and continue to page, oh, hang on, I've got it here. Oh, it's a big book. Uh, oh, yes, let's have a look. Where are we? Where do we finish? Hold on, I'm looking. Yeah, well, 250. Start at page one and go to page 250. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think that's... I don't think that's happening. And I don't, I mean, in terms of the four, in terms of e-reading and, uh, the, you know, I, I, I suspect that your question is more about, was more about uh, the way in which, um, in which reading is a bodily activity that is changed, is changed by the by the rhetoric of the, of the book. Um, and so e-readers have their own rhetoric, um, and, but online, online has its own rhetoric. So if you read, but this idea that you might, Palgrave sells its books, in parts, in bits, is actually really quite impressive. Uh, in terms, uh, as in, I think it's significant. Yeah. All right. I lots of food for thought. I'm glad you mentioned the cake because I I conceived of it as kind of like a very rich dessert that's best consumed in small bites with an espresso, um, <laughs> and that's how I proceeded through it. Uh, um, yeah, definitely the the materiality plays a role in there. So. Thank you for that. Um, you mentioned uh, a lot of how you set up the ideas and you're really building uh, a complex argument in some of these places. And your approach to this book is what I would call a delicate interdisciplinary alchemy that you're bringing in a really interesting mix of different uh, sources and ideas to build this. Um, could you please discuss how you positioned your theory and your methodology and have you shifted your interdisciplinary bounds since then? Uh, for example, with your more recent thinking about drawing which has a kind of different audience in mind and a, definitely a different format so the the i suppose methodologically i i, I again i mean the book is quite a i've described it i've described the drawing experience as quite reckless um and so there's this constant um uh exciting uh for me toing and froing backwards and forwards or or round and around or moving from it's like a kind of baseball game if you like is that you move from base to base it's more like it sometimes sometimes uh sometimes home runs sometimes struck out <laughs> uh, and so and so there's so the those bases are practice and theory and history uh and that's that that's absolutely how that works for in terms of my scholarship so so the, the recklessness is the fact that you're really not you're uh, there are things that i assume methodologically um, and then I have to go, and so my assumptions are my assumptions are often rooted in my experience of making drawings, and 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 viewing and reading drawings, and so I so the um, so I there's no, the the um, ooh, let me have a think the 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 challenges for taking practice or theorizing practice uh, are really multiple still. And so, and so, our scholars, um, and I, I include in this myself, our scholars are generally not practitioners, um, and therefore the object of their study uh, is um, position. They, they position themselves to it quite differently. Uh, even though, as a practitioner, when I make a drawing, I, I am the first viewer of the drawing. 
So I'm the first reader of the drawing. Uh, even though that's the case, um, that re that relationship that I have between viewing and consuming and making um, is a uh, a dialectical relationship that is that is absolutely not the same, obviously, between the uh, uh, as the relationship between the scholar and the object of their study. And so and so it might be there might be similarities in part uh, between me viewing uh, and thinking about a drawing that I'm making and somebody who's viewing it elsewhere and thinking about it elsewhere. And so and so the one of the challenges for me is to uh, is to bring traditions of scholarship which demonstrate which are understood as where there's consensus about rigor, uh, methodological rigor in particular, uh, to the notion that I might be making a drawing. So how so the this the question of of theorizing practice as research, for example, uh, is a question that is um, um, unf unfinished. So it's still it's still live. It's in, in a sense, although institutionally, particularly, I mean, in Europe, uh, um, institutionally, you know, practices research um, in the in arts and humanities uh, is I don't know what thirty five or forty years old. Um, it, institutionally, um, there are there are, there are, there are it's hemmed in on lots of sides by a number of unanswered or unanswerable questions, and so methodologically, if I'm going to write a book uh, about which tries to theorise um, narrative drawing, then then I then 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 my I have an advantage uh, in terms of the fact that I'm I'm also a, a narrative drafter. I'm not just a scholar of narrative drawing. I'm also make drawings. Um, but also that's a challenge because there are the assumptions that I make as a drafter about what what something what a representation might mean, even how it appears, where it appears, who's reading it, how it was made, what it was made for. Um, all of these systems of relationships are quite different to the relationships that scholars have with their objects. And so and so how so the question always is how to um, is there an advantage in thinking about about way, uh, ways in which one might upset the other? How drawing might upset scholarship, and how scholarship might upset drawing, <laughs> and of course the answer to that is yeah, crikey, there's a lot of ways, um, and so there are unanswerable questions um, at, which need still to be asked, and so so can so for example, um, um, uh, there's a distinction in the UK, an institutional distinction between practice-based research and practice-led research, for example. So practice-led research, relatively simple, it's scholarship in the sense that that uh, the practitioner undertakes scholarship by making their um, their objects the object of their scholarship and so it's a retrospective post hoc you make the object and then you and then and then you turn and then even though you're the practitioner and you have the insights of practice you might whatever they might be you then post hoc consider uh, what it is that you've made from a scholarly point of view so you turn you 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 step from one position into another even though you're the same you're the same person um, and so that's that's the, that's practice-led research, and there's a distinction in the UK that's made be between that institutionally, i.e., folks who award degrees make these distinctions. Uh, practitioners don't necessarily make these distinctions, uh, but uh, institutions do, and hence scholars also have to take note of those. Um, but practice-based research is much more complex and difficult because practice-based research demands that the practice um, both frames and answers questions. And so you so there is no post hoc. You have to set up a situation where essentially that's why uh, where where the uh, um, where you can't you can't ask a question except in the medium in which you're working as a practitioner. 
you can't ask a you can't ask a, a question by 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 applying other media to it i.e language media and so how do you so how do you set that situation up so that there is evidentiary process methodologically how do you how do you provide demonstrate so this is one of the reasons why why my drawings in a theory of narrative drawing uh, in chapter three are called demonstrations because that's what they are they're not they aren't experiments in the sense that the benchmarks are uh, tautological uh, they're self benchmarking uh, but but uh, the reader um, is meant to be able to um, is meant to be able to ask is meant to be able to understand uh, both the question and the answer to the question uh, by simply looking at the work at the practice and that's 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 not that's not an easy thing that's not an easy thing to do and so we have you know in all sorts of ways we have we have reception theory we have histories of interpretation um there are certain uh, uh, there are there are very straightforward very um well-built structures so in english literature you might take a particular approach to methodologically undertaking a a kind of uh, uh, um a close reading for example would be a would be a classic a classic methodological uh, device uh, approach um um but cr but close reading begs various questions which are which are not which are, yeah which can't be answered if you're making a drawing rather than writing rather than writing wuthering heights uh, and so and so for example just there's one example so for example if one takes close reading as a method um uh, sorry as a methodology then um then it becomes apparent that uh, that close reading is about the reader is is essentially about describing the experiences of the reader, and therefore the text the text is made is really made by the reader in close reading, um, and that the and that that is a um, that that system that that methodology requires that that the reader the scholar reader uh, ignores. Um, it, essentially ignores everything that's extraneous to an identified boundary of the text. Now, you, now it's really difficult to do that if you're looking at a drawing because drawings don't, yeah, because, I mean, you could, you can, I mean, people do it. People undertake close readings of drawings, uh, but the drawing, the drawing is shouting, the drawing is shouting all the time. Uh, look at the surface. The drawing is, is shouting, don't look at, look at the, yeah, look at the, look at the mise en page, look at the, uh, look at the mark. Don't look at the object. Uh, don't look at the depiction. It's constantly, it's constantly saying, "Oh no, no, look at the depiction. Oh no, no, look at the mark. Look at the paper. Feel the paper." Um, it's quite difficult uh, to pin to pin down the um, is it, it, to delimit the drawing as a text in the way that you might delimit an experience of reading a, a sentence in the English language or in the French language or whatever it is. And so, so that's so that's a. Um, so those those problems are or, or challenges. Those are the challenges that I try and face uh, with uh, trying to trying to chart a course or try to take the next step, the next bite of the cake, <laughs> um, without without everything falling apart, the cake falling apart, me ending up with a huge mess. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, so I think that the book, uh, the, in terms of method, um, the drawings. I made the draw. I, this is interesting because the readers have found me out. I made the drawings before before I wrote the book, and actually, I don't, I don't think I've ever said that. I think it's fairly obvious if you look at the chronology of. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it isn't. So, 
So I thought, I, so I intuited that there were ways to ask and answer questions, which I then ask and answer in chapters one and two, for example, uh, by writing, thinking and writing. Um, but actually, there are the way in which I, in a sense, introduce myself to those um, to those questions more thoroughly was by trying to frame and answer questions by making these drawing demonstrations. Yeah. Uh can I ask, would you endorse something like close drawing as a methodology for comic studies? Well, I mean, uh, I, I, unfortunately, I'm going to have to ask you what you mean. <laughs> I'm thinking about this idea of uh, we scholarly readers read uh, our our literature and we do the close reading methodology, as, as you said. Um, I know you do this redrawing, reinterpreting work. Is that a type of close drawing of a text? No, I think it's the opposite. Um, if, if we take close reading, um, one can undertake a close reading of, of, uh, of uh, visual media. That's, I mean, that, you know, um, I mean, one of the interesting thing is that close reading of literature is always also a close reading of visual material because writing, because writing is marks on a page. But of course, in close reading of literature, you're you're, you are really, really not meant to take that into account. <laughs> you're not meant to say, oh, Oh, I, oh! Actually, there's a, there's a smell coming off this book. Uh, you're not meant to say that. You're meant to, yeah, because that's not where you're meant. To, there's there's an ideal, uh, there's an ideal um, uh, um, monolithic authorial intent that you're meant to focus on as the reader. And what you actually understand as a close reader is that in in identifying that um, in detail, what you're doing is essentially describing yourself. <laughs> you're describing your own experiences of the reading. You're not. Ex you're not describing what Emily thought when she wrote *Wuthering Heights*. You know, uh, uh, or uh, did Emily write *Wuthering Heights*? Or was it? Was it one of the others? Just to get in trouble with some of my some of my literature scholars. <laughs> anyway, so if you the writer, the writer in close reading, the writer's meant to. The writer is uh, is meant. Uh, the text is meant to vanish. And the writer's the writer's text is meant to appear in the in the in the mind of the reader, um, and the reader is meant to interrogate their experience of this um, as an absolute arbiter of the experience of reading. Now, if you apply that to drawing, um, I think you know you, people do people do that. We've read you and I have read uh, have read um, and heard. Uh, comic scholars, for example, or scholars of drawing. Scholars of drawing from the fine arts don't talk about that. They don't do that. It's not. A, it's not a tradition. It's no. It isn't a. It isn't a methodology that they'd employ. Um, and that's just to do with the history of those tradi different traditions. But for comics, for comic scholars who are imbued not only in media but in literature uh, as traditions of scholarship, then then we've heard we've heard folks and read folks who take that approach to identifying the er uh, the er uh, text. Um, and in identifying the text, describing their experience of it as an absolute, um, and so that's and but but uh, in terms of the work that I've done, uh, which is essentially re, re uh, or adaptation of text text to image or image to image adaptations, where I'm where I'm drawing versions of uh, um, what I'm pointing to is exactly the opposite. And so I'm point. To, and so what I in doing that, I'm I I'm I understand that I'm always forcing, um, I'm always forcing the the text to expand to show its own origin, and that's one of the. I mean that's that's uh, that's one of the great the great advantages of the tradition of constrained of constrained writing or constrained drawing, is that it is that is that it reveal is that the rules and the rule if the rules are that are 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 the uh, if the rules of the text. 
um, then then and one approaches the the text as a set of rules, then of course what happens is that the the text shows its own mutability. It shows where it's come from, who's bashed it around, uh, what its history was, who's reading it now, what people thought about it, who the printer was, what the typeface is, what their relationship with other people were, and sometimes to a shocking extent. Um, and so um, and so suddenly the uh, uh, the mechanisms of the means of representation reveal themselves. And that is that's the opposite of close reading. Close reading is meant to reify uh, the text. Uh, does reify the text, uh, closes the text, uh, except to further close reading by someone is, who agrees to do the same thing. Uh, there's no agreement uh, in my in, in in the in my practices of adaptation. Um, there's there's uh, there there is proliferation of uh, of text and there's proliferation of origin. Um, there's no no it's the opposite of reification of it. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, now might be a good time to ask uh, what is the graphotactic array and how can this concept, this approach to describing narrative art be applied to comic studies and especially beyond? Okay, I mean I think um, fortunately it's a um, yeah it's a great it's a great question. I think I said to you earlier before we were we were while we were pre preparing that I that uh, you know I wrote this book some time ago and when when you uh, when we were we were hashing out these questions I I was thinking oh I really better find out. I better make sure that I can explain what a tactic relationship is <laughs> um, to, to listeners uh, elsewhere these days, because it's, it's been some time. But in fact, I think that the answer, the real answer uh, to the question is, in terms of my book, is a much simpler answer. Um, I mean, one of the problems with my one of the problems I have with my book, and it's an old, it's the same with any author. You've got the old book, uh, and I'm my my uh, mm. so it's interesting i i think i've found i've written a number of books and and i've written some you know i've written some stuff and uh, as well as drawing and i think that maybe at this point having written quite a lot um what i think i'm doing in writing a book is actually is actually doing is is actually making a personal archive and so I think that the I think that so so I I do actually have a practical way in which the books that I've written I go and refer to them uh, in my mind. And so I so when I'm thinking about something, they they provide a kind of um, they're a kind of personal library of of stuff in a way that's yeah in a way that it, so so there is a kind of build your own library about writing, <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah the the work. The work you want to read isn't there. What it might be, you're not sure, and then you write something. And actually, the, uh, if it's if it if if one's you know, I'm kind of proud of I'm, I'm kind of proud of the theory of narrative drawing. It was incredibly hard work um, for me to write. And so I think, oh, oh no, okay, no, 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 I know. So I know what it says. However, however, um, one of the problems with that is that is that if one is when one starts to live with these ideas in one's, particularly for me, because I'm constantly drawing and writing about drawing and thinking about history, um, one of the problems is that is that um, is that I start to be able to. I become so familiar with my own library that I start to be able to articulate its 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 central ideas in quite a different way, and often in a much simpler way. So, theoretical narrative drawing is pretty dense. It's a pretty dense book. Um, and it uses language which is um, uh, which is challenging, which challenged me 
and um, which I which I took that I took a kind of decision which I might not have taken you know if I was writing this book today um, it would be a quite it would be quite it would yeah it would certainly be written in a very different way so this brings me around to the words graphiotactic <laughs> and in the book I understand it um, there's there's so I could I think if I was writing the book today I think I think that you can I think that we have to talk about about the mark um, and that's and so the graphiotactic array is so a tactic relationship is a relationship between um, between items in a in a in a in a system of representation that sit that sit I mean I suppose a, the a vernacular way of putting it would be would be that sit at the same level so you have hypertactic so you think okay well and what what I mean by that is that um, if if for example uh, you're making a drawing of a cat. And the uh, and there are lots and lots of different ways to make a drawing of a cat, depending what what it is that you want to do. <laughs> and so the drawing, as I as I as I explain in the book, drawing is always always motivated by 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 uh, etiological causes and consequences. So the drawing is a drawing that's made in order to. There's never a so that so there's a there is there's a, there is there's, um, uh, there's direction. There's a kind of direction of travel in the drawing. Uh, there's the before the drawing. Uh, there's the drawing. There's the after drawing. So we have all of those kind of things. So and so, uh, if one makes a drawing of a cat, then the then the there might be a tactic relationship between cat ideas in the mind of the drafter. Uh, ideas of catness, properties, the properties of cats. Um, uh, not just ideas of catness, but let's narrow it down. Uh, but pro the properties of cats um, and Amongst those properties might be properties that one wants to represent. Was going to make a drawing in order to, in order to show uh, in, uh, or, or produce even a property um, that is one of the properties of cats that one wants to focus on. And so, in making the drawing, um, one makes one starts to make the mark, and the mark shares some of the properties of cat and not others. Um, and adjudicating those differences is what happens in order that the drawing can be made and finished. And so, either the drawing, either the drawing, um, either the drawing shares sh shares to a higher degree. This isn't this isn't quite how it works, but uh, either either the drawing produces the proper some properties of catness that are adequate to the properties of catness in the mind, <laughs> or or it doesn't. Some part of the drawing might. So, so in terms of the tactics, um, the uh, the idea of the cat, the idea of a cat, the properties of catness, uh, uh, those are two different levels of that. They have different relationships to each other, um, and and uh, and and relationships to each other. So you can have a hypertactic relationship. So, so let's say for simplicity's sake, you've got you've got an idea of a cat, an idea of the properties of cat. Uh, you're going to make a drawing uh, of, and you make a mark. And so you're representing uh, one of the or some of the properties of catness by partially reproducing catness, uh, and this is a complicated business. So and so you think, okay, well, so there are three there are three different levels in this in this very simplified redacted version. Let's say I mean there are others, but there are three different levels there, and those levels have those those levels relate to each other and the uh, and to themselves. And so have so on the on the level of the idea of cat. Um, 
there are a number of different ideas that have, to, have a tactic relationship to each other. They also have a hypertactic, uh, I, I beyond tactic relationship to the to to ideas at the other level, the properties of Katniss, for example, and those also have tactic relationships with other properties and hypertactic relationships with the marks, the properties of the marks. Um, and so the graphiotactic array is mark is is the mark. There, there are the marks. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I mean, there are other words for this that we could, that I could have, you know, graphiotactics is a lovely word. I love it. It's really lovely. But, but it is, it's, I mean, it isn't a neologism exactly, um, because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm able to do that with the language structure I've got. That's fine. I can say graphiotactics without it being, you know, uh, yeah, actually really a neologism. So it's fine. But, but it's a complicated and unusual word. <laughs> And so why did you know why didn't I just say mise en page? <laughs> why didn't I just say? I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I know why, uh, but uh, and I certainly wouldn't have said design. Um, but essentially, what we're talking about is is the is uh, when I talk about the graphiotactic array, I'm talking about the relationship the the, the relationship between um, uh, between marks. And so that's the and so and so the the interesting thing about that is that I is that I make some claims about the mark, uh, particularly at that point in the book, um, where um, where the mark where where I make some claims about the mark uh, about the mark not directly at representing anything, except except or reproducing anything or or having properties except within an institutional structure. And this is where things get a little bit dicey, because I'm using the word institution uh, as um, uh, as a notion of what is recalled by readers as being nominally true. And so, and so the and so the it, the, the it's interest. So the the institution is the kind of uh, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, the institution in this in this sense is the crystallization uh, of uh, of a nominal sense of what of what is true uh, everything else being either instantial actually what actually what one experiences before or prior or within actually is within um within the structure of nominal ideas because there are no others um and so and so our inst instantial experience um is only made uh, meaningful is only is only given significance by nominal ideas and nominal ideas that are shared the sharing of them itself is an, is the institution and so you can't make a mark i'm saying at this part of the book i think if i remember right uh, 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 you can't make a mark on a, on a page outside that structure and also the the the, the mark doesn't uh, the mark doesn't doesn't represent uh, that structure it produces that structure you can make a drawing of anything and it is going to sit within and produce those uh, and reproduce those uh, those nominal ideas if it doesn't it's it, well this is really interesting because i think that if it doesn't i i i claim that it's not a mark yeah because the mark has the status of an etiological status it's not just that it's intentioned it has causes and consequences uh, we see lots of marks all the time all over the place, the you know, the mark made by uh, the mark made by a curb on on your hubcap <laughs> when you drive when you drive into it by accident. <laughs> uh, the rub, the rub, yeah, you know the um, uh, the smear of um, uh, yeah the smear of sauce left on your plate 
after the after you've wiped it after you've wiped it with a piece of bread. <laughs> these are all these are all marks uh, that are that are uh, not not nominally true marks. So so the so when I talk about so so actually mise en scène oh, sorry mise en page is not quite isn't quite where so maybe mm, actually I've taught myself around to thinking that the word graphotactic is pretty good already. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should keep it. It works. <laughs> oh, oh, good. Okay. Well, I'm glad. I mean, I don't. You know, I think that you're the first person who's ever said so. I'm I'm using it, so uh, we'll we'll keep it around. Oh, awesome! <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, well, I'm and... delighted. But if it's useful, I'm delighted. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yes. Um, it, it springs to mind all other sorts of associations, but uh, that will be for another discussion. Uh, I'd really like to ask you about something that I feel was kind of foreshadowed in this book or some of the thinking, the groundwork was laid in this book. Uh, could you explain the concept of drawing and drag uh, that you explored in drawing, to, drawing and Drag by Marie Duvall and how it is an experience of drawing and narrative and a little bit of that? Sure. I mean, I think that drawing and so drawing and drag is a book uh, that I published in oh goodness me, uh, two thousand and nineteen, something like that, two thousand eighteen. I can't remember. And uh, I'll just explain a tiny little bit. I know that time is relatively short. Um, uh, so drawing and drag is a graphic novel, um, but it's a graphic novel of uh, single pages. Um, so there's no there's a unifying there's a unifying approach. Um, there there are some recurring characters, in fact. Um, but it's um, it's a series of vignettes pages. Uh, so each page is is a um, uh, is an item on its own uh, connected to the next page and the next page. But there's no ongoing. And there's about I can't remember how big it is. It's not that big. I don't know if it's forty pages or sixty. I don't know what it is. It's a it's like a it's like um, uh, oh no, of course it isn't. It's forty eight pages. It's a Bon Disney album. Of course it is. Silly me. So it's the shape and it's a hardcover. Anyway, so Drawing and Drag by Mary Duval. Uh, is a book that I produced on the occasion of finding um, a um, a series of drawings uh, made as illustrations to a book by the 19th century British cartoonist Mary Duval, and so I so I'm constantly looking uh, to uh, I'm constantly looking to find new drawings by Mary Duval that nobody that nobody's seen as Mary Duval's since either they were published or very soon afterwards because that's the history of Mary Duval in one way or another. Um, and so and so I was in a library in Manchester and I came across a book um, where Mary Duval um, was not credited um, as the illustrator. And in fact, the book has illustrations by a number of different artists. Um, but Mary Duval, uh, this edition, uh, mostly mostly illustrations by Mary Duval. And we can go into how I understood they were Mary Duval in another in another conversation, uh, because actually art historical uh, provenance making is quite complicated and requires uh, yeah a set of skills which are not just about interpretation and they're certainly not just about looking. Uh, so and so so let's say these I say oh these are drawings by Mary Duval and the name on the cover of the book. Um, mm -hmm in terms of both uh, uh, text and illustration um, was, so the, the book is called The Story of Honeymoon and it's an early, it's 1867, uh, uh, 1868, first edition uh, by uh, Charles Ross uh, and Ambrose Clark. And Charles Ross was uh, Mary Duval's, um, uh, was the father of Mary Duval's child and they lived together for 15 years, at the end of her life. And he was the editor of Judy magazine 
Um, he was the person who commissioned her all the way through. He was the guy who invented Ali Sloper, the great recurring cartoon, the first cartoon character, recurring cartoon character um, in eighteen uh, in eighteen sixty seven. Elsewhere, actually earlier, elsewhere, where he started to draw him, and then Duval started to draw him in eighteen sixty nine. Um, and so Duval and Ross had this very close relationship. Uh, and and Ambrose Clark is this figure where Duval often uses pseudonyms, at least five pseudonyms that we know of. Um, and uh, it, it seems pretty clear that Ambrose Clark is one of those. That that Ambrose Clark is Mary Duval. So I thought, oh, oh, fantastic! I thought not only uh, Mary Duval's other pseudonyms are female. And this is a male pseudonym. Um, and so Ambrose, so Ambrose is the, yeah, so so Mary drew, drew as uh, Noir, uh, who actually, and, and we think, oh, is Noir a woman? Don't know. Could it could have been a man? Could Who knows? Noir could be, yeah, could be uh, non-binary, could be anything. Noir is this kind of cat. What, what we do know is that Noir was meant to be French, yeah, because of the name, um, and that, uh, that the drawings that Mar Mary Duval made under the name Noir are all... Uh, are all fashion drawings so you have this so so the, yeah so we get a kind of character we we start to we start to feel the uh we start to feel the nominal truth of the character of noir out of from Mary de Val's drawing and that's fine uh, so there's noir um her royal highness uh, the princess uh Hesse schwarzborg um she's a woman um uh Mary Duval. uh who else is anyway so uh, ambrose clark is the male is a male name um, so we think, okay, so I thought, oh, that's amazing. Not only have we got Mary drawing under a pseudonym again, but also under a male pseudonym. And actually the practice of pseudonym and regendered regendering in pseudonym in 19th century literature and media is pretty common um, for all sorts of reasons, not just the, not, not just the kind of stats, you know, vernacular idea of, uh, of oh, w women couldn't get on and therefore they had to, they had to pretend to be men, uh, which is a real badlerization. That's not really what was going on at all. There was a bit of that, but actually there's all sorts of other things. If you give yourself another name, uh, you, yeah, you can empower yourself with the character, the characteristics of the, of the person who you're naming yourself as. And so when Ms. when Ms. Duval becomes becomes Ambrose Clark, Ms. Duval becomes a man. And so what does that mean in eighteen in eighteen sixty seven eighteen sixty eight? What does it mean to become a man in a, so so this so all of this is grist to my mill obviously, uh, in terms of resubjectivization re if you like, uh, and active practi practical resubjectivization. So I thought, well, what would happen if if I was to pretend, um, uh, which is. Um, yeah, pretending is the only way in which what, what is nominally true can be changed. If you think, if, if one can imagine something, um, then its nominal truth starts to appear. And, that, that's, and this, is the, this is the course of revolution uh, and transformation everywhere. In all times, I think this is how things, if one, can, if one can think out of the box, I think it might have been called in the 80s, then, then suddenly nominal truth is changed. And there's no getting away from that. And it never goes, it, it's never, it's never not changed. So, so I thought, great. Uh, what would happen if, what if uh, Mary Duval, what, what if I, if I resurrected, revived is the word, revived Mary Duval in Manchester, where I found the book uh, in the, uh, in the 21st century uh, and, and made her and, and had her drawing um, as though she was still, she was alive. So let's see, what would Mary Duval draw if she was revived in Manchester in the 21st century was the question. And then, of course, Mary Duval is dead. Um, and so who's going to make these drawings? Uh, and of course, the answer to that is the answer to that is me. Now, the interesting thing about that is that I really, really not Mary Duval. 
and so and so there's the there's the that's the the occasion that's the occasion on which uh, this kind of adaptation um it, it's not an ad- adaptation because there's no uh, text there's no text the the te- that or rather the text is a much broader non- series of ideas about what Marie Duval um what Marie Duval has done so so essentially this is an exercise in this is an exercise in the inculcation and the production of memory uh, so that's what that's what I so I so I drew a book the book called Drawing in Drag by Mary Duval by Simon Grennan <laughs> so I stepped into yeah I so I took Mary's place at the at the uh with the pen and made and made the drawing now I mean the thing is that there is a lot of um there's a lot to talk about uh, in terms of that I mean, the notion, I mean, the use, I use the word drag. Drag is a drag is an old and contested. I mean, it's not that old, but it's a pretty old word. And it's had a number. It, it has accumulated meanings, um, uh, some of which are, well, no, actually, I think probably all of which have uh, quite, um, quite a, still quite apparent political associations. And so drag is so so drag can be lots of different types of things, but but it's it's a uh, um, it's essentially about it's essentially about strategic adoption um, of of characteristics and properties that are that are before the adoption, um, let's say understood who by don't know by the self even understood by the self as not as not belonging to oneself, and this is what Duval did when she became Am- Ambrose Clark. Is that she she accumulated to herself the properties of maleness, mas- sorry masculinity actually is more like it, and so and so I so in in becoming Mary Duval, um, I'm I'm making drawings in drag, so that's so and so that and of course this is all fa- this is all fantasy. These are the yeah this is the what if, um, and so and so there's there's yet I've I've written about drawing a drag. Um, and the process that I went through and what I was thinking was about doing it. But I don't think anyone's really, no one's paid a massive amount of attention to it except as entertainment, which actually is entertaining. Crikey, entertain me drawing it. <laughs> it was incredibly good. I was able to, I mean, I. what happened is that, again, it's part of this personal library thing, is that actually I found out that I really, really know a lot about Mary Duval. <laughs> uh, and, and what I knew about Mary Duval, you can see it on the page because of the way in which the, the topics that I choose, um, uh, what, are they topics that Mary would have chosen? These are discussions that I had with the librarians in Manchester uh, about how about how contemporary Manchester mapped or doesn't map onto an experience of the city in the 1870s. And so we have, yeah, so there's fashion, uh, sexuality, um, there's constant shifting of roles, uh, there's uh, there's poverty and violence, uh, and, um, and and above all, uh, what Mary Duval would call, and did call, the hard work of leisure. <laughs> About how, how having a good time really, really destroys you. How it's hard. Yeah, and how arranging for other people's good time also destroys you. And it's it's an industry. It's the, the leisure is a yeah, it's, a, it's an industry, which is not a term that would have been used in the eighteen eighteen seventies. Um, so so all of that is where so so essentially this is a book. This is a book about um, this is a book about a particular type of pastiche, uh, and but but where pastiche is understood as performative, in a in a Goffman in a Goffman kind of way, is that actually there's on stage and off stage. And 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 there is a whole slew of uh, of kind of um, uh, ideas that motivate the book and allow the book to be what it is, 
that are derived from thinking about how I'm performing as married adult. Thank you. And what are you working on now? What are you excited about? Um, well, I'm so I'm uh, I'm working on a large project with a with a big team of people um, in the in Scotland and uh, Hawaii and Samoa in the Pacific, um, and uh, we are we're, we've been fortunate enough um, to uh, uh, to be able to put together a team for a big project over three years, and we're now in year number two, uh, where we are um, where there are um, poets and uh, post-colonial literature scholars and educators. Uh, and artists um, and educators and uh, participants, adult participants, uh, children, uh, school kids, participants. Um, and we are looking at the, we're all looking at the Pacific writing of Robert Louis Stevenson. Um, and uh, part of this is, um, Part of this is Stevenson's visualizations in 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 language, in written language, um, and so the uh, there are a number of graphic adaptations of his stories. I'm under I'm drawing a graphic adaptation of uh, one of the Pacific stories uh, called "The Beach at Falisa," uh, and uh, Solomon Inos, who's a, a Hawaiian artist, uh, is making graphic adaptation of two other stories, uh, "The Bottle Imp" and uh, "The Isle of Voices." And then there's a lot of journalism that uh, Stevenson produced, a lot of letters. Um, Stevenson is a very interesting character uh, in Samoa in particular um, and of course in Scotland and so uh, we're using Stevenson's Pacific work which he wrote right at the end of his life and he died in his early 40s uh, on Samoa he's buried on Samoa to we're using that to um, as a kind of focus for lots of big questions about um, about uh, colonial and post-colonial representation power relationships and about how ideas um, uh, yeah, how ideas are how ideas are colonized in the sense, and what the practical implications of that are. So, for example, one of the things that is very interesting um, uh, as a, a kind of example of what that means, a practical example, is that when Stevenson arrived in Samoa, he ended up buying a piece of land and building a house. Um, and um, currently in Samoa, it's uh, property land isn't really property. So what happens? So what happens? So, and yeah, so what happens if um, and Stevenson was able to purchase land um, because of a colonial administration in summer. And so you think, okay, well, what happens if what hap in, in in European cultures, uh, property property is one of the defining kind of defining concepts of of the way in which we understand our relationship with almost everything. And so and so, what happens if one doesn't have or has a different idea? Of what property or, or that actually property doesn't exist in that way at all for example would be a concrete idea about how stevenson's uh stevenson's intervention uh, or, tr or journey from or intervention between scotland and samoa for example uh, produces topics which need which are uh, yeah which we're looking at that sounds fascinating we'll, we'll be looking forward to seeing the results of that project and hearing more later um so dr simon grannon simon thank you so much for your time and your generosity speaking with me today it was such a pleasure to have you on the show you're welcome it's been a pleasure thanks elizabeth <laughs>